Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of the Pioneer Perspective. As always, my name is Brad and I am joined by Alex Lochtwain. Hello. Hello. I didn't say I'm also Brad Siffer. I guess I have to do that now. Hi, I'm also Brad Siffer. Because it's gotten to the point where people at my LGS have started calling me that. Seriously? Yeah, it's weird. Now, we, we've got, like, some Pioneer folks, but not, like, enough where, like, some of... Like, a couple of them, like, know what I do, but they're not, like... You know, they wouldn't be, like, oh, my God, it's the guy. Like, no yeah. one's ever commented on my mat other than a friend of mine who always points out that I have a mat with my own face on. <laughs> like, he just always does it. Like, he rolls it out, yeah. he just says out loud, it's like, hey, that's your face on your mat. I'm like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's also a thing of like... Uh, it sounds so know. vain when you point it out like that. <laughs> it's also a numbers game, right? There's statistically going to be more Magic players in the US versus yeah. the Netherlands. So the odds of running to people. Um, but yeah, so th that's a little weird. Though some of them don't say it right. Most of them don't. It, again, it's Brad Siffer, kind of like Lucifer. I've said the thing before. It's an inside joke with a friend of mine because I listen to metal and especially a band called Ghost, which is predominantly about like, you know, the Antichrist and like Satan and stuff like that. But it's like tongue in cheek theatrical. Uh, but my friend, when he like knew I listened to that, he there's a song called Year Zero by Ghost where he goes, uh, Belial, Behemoth, Beelzebub, Asmodeus, oh, Satanus, Lucifer. Like with a, with yeah. a meme, too. Yeah. Yeah, and the way that he says Lucifer is so funny um, that we would joke about it. But my friend started ad-libbing it and being like, Brad Stiffer, and that's where the name came from. That's it. That's it. That's all it is. That's, that's the only thing it came from, the fact that my friend's like, you're a Satanist. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Which is why my Twitter uh, account always had in the bio, I swear I'm not a Satanist. Um, so, yeah, but people would not pronounce it Brad Stiffer. They'll go Brad Cipher, like to decipher something. Ah. And I'm like, okay, sure, sure. It'll do. <laughs> It'll do. Even um, even before we had Seth and before I would talk to like Saffron, like, like you know, like on the cast and like before like and all that stuff, when I was just a random person with the Twitch account Bradcifer and I would be in their chat like years ago, he would also pronounce it Brad Cipher. Like that's that's a thing. But now I would be like, oh, it's Bradcifer. I'm like, oh, hello. Hi. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it's fucking silly. But here Still we are. I believe we've had him on. It, that was really cool. Yeah, um, it was awesome. It's nice to have him on. Uh, I've, I've had, we've it's had also some opportunities just, to get other people. It's also just cool to know, because obviously you speak to him before the cast too, that he is as genuinely nice of a person as he is like on cast. It's not at all an act. He is just such a unbelievably nice yeah, guy. Yeah, he, he's just, a, he's literally a big bear. It's what he's like. The, he's like the the it's most teddy bear of teddy bears, <laughs> and it's funny that his dog is also named Bear. Yeah, it's just it's just adorable, and like, yeah, it's it's fucking fantastic. But we had in this last weekend, DreamHack Atlanta happened, so we have top eights from those. We have results, and Alex, you were able to actually tune in and watch some of the DreamHack uh, live coverage, which, oh my God, I, I, am I saying that correctly? There yeah. was live coverage of yeah, DreamHack? I, um, I watched a, I watched all of day one of um, 
Sofia, so the European one. Uh, like I literally, I woke up pretty early, and I saw a tweet first from Aspiring Spike, which was just like, if you you know want to see mm-hmm. more live magic, go and watch these this weekend because you know if they get the numbers, they do it again. And then I saw a tweet from I think it was William Hall being like, "Hey, we're going live in like five minutes," and I was like, "All right, I know what I'm doing today." Um, Watch that all day. Like I, I cooked. My phone was like low on charge, so I had to charge it while cooking. And then I was in the kitchen, and I ended up eating my dinner in the kitchen. So I could like it probably looked really sad, but like just so I could I, like, I keep watching that. it on my phone. <laughs> like I joked to my girlfriend, like if you took a picture of me doing that, you would probably put like that caption under, you know, these like government ads where it's just like sometimes you have to ask people if they're okay. <laughs> That's probably what I looked like. Um, but then I watched it and in the evening. I went to a few friends, and then I got back home and I watched some. I watched Atlanta and then like basically till four and I went to bed. So uh, yeah, I watched a lot of fucking magic on Saturday and on Sunday I caught some of it, but I had some things going on, so I didn't have end up watching all of it and we're already recording on tuesday so i haven't watched the vaults yet but i'm going to at least um definitely like the top eight of uh both events i want to watch the uh the vaults because i caught a yeah. bit of the top eight in sofia and it was sick i love watching paper magic again and it was so good i mean it's one thing that people have been clamming for for like felt like a return to the golden days it was just so cool to just, like, see cool matches. And there were, like... <clears throat> I mean, we just, you know, get to talk about Pioneer. There was, like... There were a lot of, like, cool decks and fun innovations and, like, nice plays. And we saw some deck Like, the Misery Shadow, like, showed up in a lot of Rakdos decks. And it looked very good in them. Um, but I think my favorite deck... And I don't get the name. Um, but first, I have to ask for a card, Brad. If you know... And you might, because it's from Amoket. Do you know what Bloodlust Insider does? Bloodlust Insider. Is that the um, the single... Uh, no, one or two mana red card that says um, you can tap, a th- tap itself to give another card haste? Yes. Let's go! It's a 1 mana 1 1 for a red. Human warrior. Tap target creature gains haste until end of turn. This was a 4 of. In a deck that... I want to see how it... How did it do again? Uh, I, Side note. I, I ran that card as a 4 of in my um, in a standard deck that was uh, built around the uh, Combustible Gear Hulk. And then uh, Wildfire Eternal. Ah, so, oh, actually, there were multiple people on this deck. Was it a Rakdos um, deck? No. Ended up going 7-2 and two was the best one. Actually, 16th, Joel Larson. It is a human aggro-ish deck with Prime Speaker Venifar for a combo win. It is such a fucking sick deck. So uh, I'll just read out the list real quick. Fourth Raven Inspector. Four Bloodlust Insider, four Thalias Lieutenants, so there is like a bit of a beatdown plan here. Four Rafine's Informant, because that's also a human. Four Reflector Mage, four uh, Extraction Specialist, four Glass Pool Mimic, four Prime Speaker Venifar, three Ga- uh, Thalia, one Corridor Monitor, and one, here's one you might know from recently, Kelden Strike Team. 
Oh, is that the kicker 3-1 that makes a soldier when it comes in? Everything gets haste? Yeah. So nice. the combo here, you try <clears throat> and play a... Oh, and two collected company. You try and play like a beatdown aggro deck. At least you're applying some pressure. Then you could use Bloodlust Insider, play Vanifar, sack the Bloodlust Insider to Vanifar, because Vanifar now has haste, so it can go off immediately. You grab Corridor Monitor, which is a... Um, one of the blue for a 1-4 construct from um, Eldraine. You use that to untap Vanifar. Then you sack Corridor Monitor again. You find Extraction Specialist, you know, which we all know what it does. It's the 3-2 that gets a 2 drop back. Then you use that to get back Corridor Monitor. You repeat this, and you grab all Extraction Specialists in your deck, all Glass Pool Mimics in your deck, and then you end on a Kelden Strike Team, and now your whole board has haste. And you just attack with a bunch of three power creatures. Like, and this just, this Which... went seven and two. Like, this ended up 16th by is Joel this... Larson. But I don't is know this... why it's called Swedish Vanifar Combo. Is it just because the whole team that worked on it was Swedish? Uh, yeah, like, that, we've seen names like that before. Is like, there, I don't check is that, Was that Dreamhack, or was that the Sophia? Uh, that was Sophia. That was... Um... Okay, Legacy so if European I go down, here I'll. Uh, this is the tournament. I'll send you on Discord. Oh, I see it. Legacy European Championship. Because there's two Sophia things listed. Yeah, there on... were also like there was an event on Sunday, like another like, uh, like that wasn't broadcast, but there was another event going on there. But and like, the, just which place? Um. Oh wait, it was it was sixteenth on day one. I don't know where it ended up on day two. I got that wrong. Ended up seventy ninth in the whole tournament, and then two hundred and sixty second. Oh, I see it. But the sixteenth place that was day one, so it did pretty well day one, and then it fell off a bit on day two. But like, it was just such a sweet deck, like and really like just like it took me a. Like I had to literally watch till it went off to like get what was going on, and then I was like, "Oh, that's really smart! <laughs> Holy shit!" Yeah, these are. This is why we've been begging for pro, you know, level events. So they finished eight and seven overall. Started seven and two, finished eight and seven. So they kind of had yeah, a great day one, fell apart fell day flat two. On day two. <clears throat> Happens. Um, but I mean, is this going to be like, you know, the top deck? Probably not, but this is the innovation we're talking about that we want to see because Pioneer is still very much unsolved. Also did very well. I think the day before the last chance qualify, I'm sorry, I'm going to mispronounce his name. I think it was Dimitar Aranin, something like that. I think his nickname is like El Magico, El Magico or something, Mm -hmm. uh, like the magician. Um, won the last Running chance to fire of instinct, and ended up 17th, so one short of top 16. Uh, but I think this does give him At a Pro Tour 10? invite. I think there were more yeah. like top 45 or whatever was Pro Tour invite. He was 10 4 and 1 on the on the two days. That's pretty good. It did he did great. He, he beat Gabe Nassif on blue white, which is you know quite See, a feat. If like, you could say that you I, beat Gabriel Nassif, you you know you could be pretty proud of yourself. A one of Fauna Shaman, too, in this deck. I didn't think about that card for this type of deck when we were talking yeah, about it. I heard more people on it, but like, I, I like this had like the Pro Tour 
thing where like people were definitely like keeping their decks secret. You know, yeah. and got out with like some tech and some funny includes. I was and, like I was watching know, Doomwake and he paired up against someone and he was doing like a like a regular league and when the person saw who they were up against and they knew he was streaming, they immediately conceded both games and just dipped out. And he was like, they're probably hiding what they're trying to play. They don't want anyone to see it. I thought that was really cool. I don't remember who it was. I'd love to go check and see what they were on. But yeah, it was fucking sick. But just to like talk a little bit about the meta, because obviously, um, so courtesy of Robert Taylor, Fire Shoes on Twitter, what would we do without this man? Like, just Mr. Data. It's crazy. Um, That's why everyone tags him whenever they have a a deck that does something. In um, both... See, in both tournaments, at least I'm going to look at um, the European one and the North American one. And that's just because I know there was, I believe, a Brazilian one. But if I'm trying to find it on Melee, I don't really know which one I'm looking for. <laughs> so, like, I'm going to talk about the two I've watched just because I, I could find the data for it stuff a bit better. Um, obviously, Monogreen Devotion was at the top. Um, it was the most played deck. Um, by quite a margin in the... Um, I- I've got um, the 930 deck lists from uh, Atlanta and 207 people, so roughly 22.5% of the field was on Mono Green Devotion. Mm-hmm. But it didn't like roll the tournament or anything. No, I like, think it, it only actually, had two it actually top didn't do very well. in both days on DreamHack. Yeah, if you take the top eight from the three regionals, so that third one, which I think was Brazil, mm-hmm. there were only two mono green devotion decks in the three top eights combined. Yeah, so people so, were ready for it. Yeah, people were ready for it. But I think there's there's some things to go into this. And now people are always like, oh, so I guess mono green's fine. Like, hmm, <laughs> doubt. No, it um, doesn't mean that. Yeah, because there, there's, there's a lot of like um, caveats to this data. First of all, Brothers War came out the week before. So mm-hmm. um, it's hard to say where a meta will settle. Um, second of all, it was um, open deck list. And yep. as far as I know, they already got to see their opponent's deck list before going into the game. So they got to watch, look at their deck list before the game even started. So that means changes your mulligans and stuff yeah it changes your mulligan immediately if you know that you're like in pioneer you're already like encouraged to mulligan pretty aggressively because a lot of decks are fast and like green is very popular you want to interact against green but sometimes you see like a slower hand but it like has a bunch of good setup and the mana works etc and you're like i'll keep and i'll see if it's green well you don't lose those games anymore because oh they're on green because you know they're gonna be on green Right, that obviously makes a very large difference. Yeah, um, absolutely. Also, everyone was ready for green. Like, everyone and their mom was uh, prepared to face off against mono green. Because, well, it was the most hype-up deck and the most represented deck. So, obviously, that's going to happen too. Also, if a lot of people are told that like mono green is just the best deck, that probably also means you're going to have a lot of bad pilots. Or at least... Medium, but like none of these were going to be bad pilots. They've all won RCQs to get here. There, literally everyone who went to the tournament is at least a reasonable Magic player. Um, but like, there's a difference between like a lot of the pros were on Is It Phoenix, and if just a lot of people are going to be on Mono Green, 
then you know there there's a chance that the mono green numbers are a bit like skewed against their favor too. Because speaking of Phoenix, that did very well this weekend. Yeah, I had like what, Put six five copies in the combined Fives. top eights. Uh, I think it was three of the eight slots in um, Sofia were all Phoenix. Yeah. First, um, se- third, and fourth. Yeah. There's a lot of Phoenix in the Sofia. Long camera too. I've seen. Um, with like pretty interesting sideboard plans sometimes. We saw a lot of Enigma Drakes. Um, sorry, Crackling Drake. Crackling Drake, yeah. Millionth time I confused those cards. Um, Brotherhood's someone End. Sahili, also Brotherhood's End. But also, I feel like surprisingly, Phoenix has been a bit of a sleeper deck. Like people just haven't been like on it as much. Um, well, I feel like I a lot of the just... sideboard hate is like set up for Grease Fang. So yeah, like I think people it's a are a bit boring deck as part of that reason. Like people have kind of fallen off of it because like, how often do you see a card that's released? Pretty much since Consider came out. Since Consider, how often do you see a card that you're like, oh yeah, Phoenix, and like you're excited about it, or like it's usually just like a there's not a card that's good enough, so the deck doesn't change much, or b it's just more you know, copies five through eight of another card they already have, which is, like, cool, I guess. It, it is a very, very boring deck from from a lot of people's perspectives uh, in terms of, like, playing it um, and, like, building for it, I guess. Yeah, I also feel like... And this this is just my two cents, right? Please ask a pro if you want a definitive answer to this. I feel like if you go into an open deck list and you know your opponent is on Phoenix... That matters less than knowing they're on green. Mm-hmm. Because to an extent, Phoenix is like just gonna do Phoenix things. And um obviously you can have like some removal, etc. There are some decks with some graveyard hate in the main, but like not a ton. Like it definitely usually boils down to like Graveyard Trespasser, uh Misery Shadow. Like there's not a lot of hearses in the main anymore. Uh there was one mm-hmm. person who had it. So, like, it doesn't matter as much than, like, I'm in a black deck, I'm going to aggressively mulligan to Fatal Push, because I can aggressively mulligan into something that actually does something. Which is, yeah. I think, a little less the case with Phoenix, because it's harder to interact with them just going, like, pieces of the puzzle, and then, like, double up on a Temporal Test Press and take two turns. Like, there's just less that you can do about preventing that game plan, more than just, well, I'm just, like, going to keep a good hand and just hope I get there. I think that also yeah. like weighs into like Grease Fang underperforming a little bit. Same with if you know you're against Grease Fang, you know, you can keep in the dark, you can keep a very good reasonable hand and just be like, the only thing this does is that it doesn't kill Grease Fang. And then, well, that's where they basically win against you for free. But if you know your opponent is on Grease Fang, there's no way in hell that you keep a hand that never kills a turn three Grease Fang. Like, ever. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, I want to ask you something, since you are the control player. Though this is... Yeah. talking about Azorius. Um, looking specifically at the deck by... Um, uh, Two? Doe? Toe? Toe Mary? Uh, got seventh place in um, Sophia? Yeah. Tio, uh, I think the name is, but I'm not... So... At what point? Because I think the main deck looks good. I like the main deck. I like the the couple one ofs they have. I don't think that's that bad. 
Um, I like the split between March and Faithful Absence. I like the inclusion of a couple make disappears uh, to be your sensor that you know isn't you know so linear on when it can do things. And of course, temporary lockdowns great. The sideboard is where it loses me a little bit. There are one, two, three, four, five, six out of fourteen slots because they are playing Kahira. Uh, six one ofs. And I understand that some of these one ofs make sense, like the Baneslayer Angel, Dream Trawler kind of package, um, Holebreaker Horror for another control matchup, the one extra Devon's Veto, and the uh, one extra Mother Otherworldly Light, and then one temporary lockdown. You're basically adding to your existing copies of a couple of those uh, cards to the main deck, and then you're bringing in the package for the other ones. But at what point is that detrimental to your sideboarding plan and your way to attack other decks where you're just bringing in these silver bullets where it feels like y you need a bit more consistency? Or is it the card draw is just so good or the, w the way your game plan is, you're going to find that one of regardless? So what I think is different... So usually I hate these like one-off sideboards too. Like if you if you've seen any of my deck lists, like whatever I post on Twitter or like um, you know in Grix's grabs or whatever, I usually have like a bunch of two offs in my sideboard, or at least two offs because you know I think the same with like if you want a certain effect, you would you know you don't want one like who the fuck boards in like yeah. one thoughtsies. But what I like about this one is that other than a bunch of like the like interchangeable big cards, right? Like Baneslayer and Dream Trawler like serve a pretty similar purpose in certain matchups, right? If you're against aggro, you're fine bringing in Baneslayer and Dream Trawler. They're big flying fatties with lifelink. Um, mm. But a lot of this is just like finishing off play sets and, or at least like adding just the copies of cards. And there, a lot of these cards are cards that are actually like incredibly good in some matchups, like uh, Dovin's Veto, Temporary Lockdown, March of Otherworldly Light, Wandering Emperor. So these are just like actually like super good cards. So mm. the idea of like I'm against control, I'm gonna take out two Temporary Lockdown and add a Wandering Emperor and a Dovin's Veto because they're really good cards in the matchup. Um, I think is actually like fine for sideboarding. I kind of like this approach to just like. Um, rather than, because the field was, like, gonna be pretty wide. Like, obviously everyone was gunning for Mono Green, but, like, we knew yep. that, like, Mono Green, Phoenix, Rakdos, probably some, like, Atarka Red variant, uh, Grease Fang, there were gonna be all these different, um, powerful decks. So having a main deck that is, like, a bit, like, good against everything... And then after sideboarding, you're basically like a prepared main deck, right? So you're preparing for more aggro, you put in some more sweepers, etc. Mm -hmm. I kind of like that approach, especially going into a tournament because it gives... I mean, there is like good card selection in uh, in blue. So with cards like Memory Deluge, there's even a, an element of just like, I'm going to pick up the cards that I need and just like bottom the ones I don't. Um, but in a tournament that goes pretty long and you're up against good opponents building your deck in a way where in any matchup you can just draw the correct half of your deck like i think it's not a bad idea to go into a tournament because at the end of the day no matter how good you are at magic you need to get lucky to win a tournament of course so leaning into that idea of like i mean i'm not saying like 
they're bad players and they were just like taking chances or whatever, right? Like fucking Gabriel Nassif wasn't blue-eyed. I would like never say that he's a bad magic player because it's, well, not true. But um, just the idea that like, yeah, I have a bit of like variance in this deck because I can try draw the wrong half of my deck, but I can also draw the right half of my deck. And if I win a tournament, I have to get a bit lucky. So building my deck in a way that I'm allowing myself to get lucky and just roll people on occasion. Like, if you're playing against, like, Ragdoll Sack and you just draw the two temporary lockdowns that are in your main deck, like, how do you ever lose? Yeah. So building your deck in that way, I think, actually makes a decent amount of sense. Especially, again, it's open deck lists. So you know when you have your opening hand, oh, I have my two temporal lockdowns, I'm against a matchup where that's bad, I'm going to take a mulligan. So I think it's also a good way to build going into an open decklist tournament. Because you don't keep these hands that end up being all duds, because you, well, know what the duds are. Yeah, and I think... Yeah, so increasing your odds and your percentages of drawing these cards and that kind of thing, I, that, that does make sense to me. It's just at first glance, the one-ofs are usually kind of weird-looking, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, when you break it down and they're all just either completing or making three-ofs towards a play set, uh, then it does make sense. Especially because I mean, white just has these cards in mm -hmm. Pioneer. I think white is a very good color in Pioneer. That's it a, has yeah, it, it, it's no longer these, like, the joke. Of yeah, like, it has whatever. these bomb cards, like temporary lockdown, uh, obviously post where you get like rest in peace. Uh, it's got good one-mana interaction now. Uh, some matchups you just fucking like destroy with Wandering Emperor. And it's just, that's just the way white is now. So, you know, this is really playing to the strengths of the white part of blue-white control, which is part of the reason why blue-white is the best control deck, because the white cards are so good. If you were to rank in Pioneer right now, the colors, where would you rank them? Ooh. That's difficult. So I think, I think because, white is top three. Because you're tempted to say green is the number one color, but there's really... I mean, there's also, like, Love Boat. Uh, so there are more than one... There's more than one good green deck. Mm -hmm. I think I would rank... I mean, th this is really weird because I'm tempted to go green, black white blue red but then I i'm ranking blue that, red though. at the bottom and that's phoenix so it's it's true weird to rank it like that but but in a in a vacuum maybe, the maybe power in a of way cards, that's to say stable. that they're yeah but like yeah so i think in a way i'm saying the colors are really balanced in pioneer yeah like i, I think, think all the color there is no color in pioneer where i'm like that is a bad color i will say as much as it has Fable, red is a little lacking. I feel yeah, I think like. I agree. like, there, we like don't a have big lack a is true... Lightning Bolt. Yeah. Like, there's no Lightning Bolt, which is obviously like a very, very powerful card. There's no Unholy Heat. Um, so yeah, a bunch that, of like the... I still think that... Um, what's it called? Should have been an instant. Strangle. Just don't... It doesn't go face. I think that yeah, should have been I, an instant. I really wish Strangle had been an instant. I think that would have been... Uh, very good but like so red isn't bad but i feel like um red is almost what white was for a while where it feels like it's often a good supporting color so like red going really well alongside blue in phoenix 
red going really well Rakdos. alongside black and Rakdos. Yeah, I actually um, agree with that. I think makes red a good color. So that's why I still like... Because for a long time, the joke was white was bad. But I think white hasn't been a bad color for years. But I think what was correctly said is that like white isn't bad. Mono white is pretty bad. And I think we've gone like beyond that point. And like red is like in that space where red isn't bad, but mono red is bad. Though I wouldn't say mono red is as bad. But that's also just because it's inherent to red. Mono red is an aggressive strategy and sometimes it just rolls you over if you stumble. And like red will always do that, right? As long as Embercleave is a card, red has the ability to do that. Yep. So, yeah, I think the colors are very balanced, but I think white is... I would definitely, if I'd have to rate them, I need to have a long think about that, but red would de uh, white would definitely be in the top half. Well, top three, so top half. Yeah, because we don't see any... Like, I don't see any anywhere even close to the top half of uh, these tournaments, like a mono-red deck. No, Mono Red did not do well. Um, <clears throat> even a Tarka Red didn't do very well. I do think it's... Um, I feel like a Tarka Red is the kind of deck, and all these red decks, they... And I think in that way, they also really struggle with open deck lists. Because if you're gonna come up with a Tarka Red... And a Tarka Red is just like balls-to-the-wall aggro. But I've watched it a bit, and it feels like if you survive the initial onslaught, the fuck are they going to yeah. do? Yeah, right? I agree. So if I'm playing blue-white, and I know my opponent's on a Tarka red, I'm fucking hard-mulling to a hand that has a temporary lockdown and two portable holes, or something yep. along those lines. And if I have that, and I'm like, all right, temporary lockdown, okay, you play like a one-drop, whatever. Okay, you play a Kari Zef that now gets a counter from Kumano. Okay, cool, I'm going to portable hole that. Right, you play another land. Cool, I'll play a tap land and portable hole your next play. Now I'm gonna play Burning Tree, Burning Tree, Bushwhacker. Okay, I'll take like eight and now I'm Gastem pre lockdown and I win. Yeah, it, it's it speaks a lot. It's funny because we're just talking about how like white is a way better color than it used to be. The best aggro deck in the format right now is mono white humans. And that just shows and that the I mean I think also part of that is the fact that green is so heavily played. And that is such a huge, like, great matchup to have on a mono white because Brave the Elements just says, I don't give a shit about any of your creatures. Yeah, I've seen these games where they just, like, white builds, like, a reasonable board and goes, like, one drop, one drop, one drop, one drop lieutenant or something. And green just does green things. It's like, I have four trolls and three cavaliers. And they're like, okay, lieutenant, brave, protection from green, you die. Yeah. Fun it, turn. That's massive. Yeah, it's. I agree. It's it's huge. So I do definitely think open deck list has played into this, um, which I think is super interesting, right? It, it's really fun to see how it changes a deck, uh, a tournament, and also just the, um, like obviously the scale of the players. So I think it was Martin Yuza who was interviewed, and he said, yeah, the reason I'm on um, Phoenix is because Phoenix has a lot of decision points. And if you're good at Phoenix, if you're good at Magic, you like decks with lots of decision points because you can yeah. maximize these decisions. Where, you know, there's definitely complicated times with mono green, but just like kind of like how mono white aggro, 
it has these kind of draws that are just like one, two, three, four, win. And you don't really have to think about it. Because your draw just lines up well. Phoenix never really has that. It always has a lot of decision points. And if you have a lot of decision points, that means you can maximize all these decision points if you're good at the game. So these type of decks just tend to be very well performing in the hand of skilled pilots. Um, I remember uh, when Akeros, um streamed like Reggie. I think he is like back to streaming uh, on occasion now. Mm -hmm. um, I'd watch him play Phoenix, and I think the first couple times I watched him stream, he basically did like none of the plays I would have done. Because every mm -hmm. time I'm like, oh yeah, I would do that. And he's like, no, nope, nope, doing that instead or doing that instead. Um, you can get like one Phoenix back this turn. It's like, yeah, but if I wait a turn, I could probably get three back, you know, like that type of thing. Yeah. So if you're a good player and you've had a lot of time to prepare in secret, you were probably going to be on Phoenix. Like that was going to be a very good choice because a lot of them also said the green matchup is good. I guess. I mean, like everyone says their green matchup is good. So I never, I never know whether or not that's actually true, <laughs> but I could see why. It's the extra turn thing, right? Yeah, like, the extra turn is just the over-the-top. When you have Lightning Axe that can deal with both Troll and Cavalier, even though it doesn't exile, you're not too worried about the exile effect because when you just go, you know, Treasure Cruise, Temporal Trespass, then tr tr Trespass yeah. again, and just keep hitting them over and over again with these Phoenixes, you don't care about what the value they get out of the Troll Death or the Cav Death because they're never going to be able to untap to even make use yeah, of it. Yeah, as, as long as mono green doesn't completely pop off like you're probably in a good spot like yeah if they do like turn three i also uh, i think phoenix has like six one mana interaction spells yeah so I, they usually i think they're on like three or four fiery impulse and like two or three uh spike field hazard so they have a million ways to kill an elf too so that also so we, gives we them saw, a good matchup we saw Phoenix make a nice pop-off uh, with those tournaments, or these slew of tournaments. We saw Rakdos do fairly well as uh, an addition of that, which we expected because Rakdos is the one that kind of has the ability to keep up or at least, you know, have a 50-50 shot pretty much against the field. That's just what happens when you have that Jun-style mid-range deck that can kind of, you know, board certain ways or have these kind of game plans and just be a solid deck. So, of course, we see that um, running like Shouldered and things like that. The Rakdos decks have some small differences between the spells of choice. We see, like, you know, the main deck of Braid on a couple of them, and, like, obviously Dreadbore. Some are running, like, Power Word Kill, um, things like that. Some are running, like you said, Misery Shadow uh, as, like, even a four of in the main, which we saw in the, sec uh, the second place Rakdos midrange list by Larry Fields, running four Misery Shadow in the main deck. Um, and this is a very clean-looking list. It's four Blood Divester, one Croxa, four Misery Shadow, four Bonecrusher Giant, four uh, Graveyard Trespasser, four Shieldred, four Push, four Thoughtseize, four Power Word Kill, no Dreadboard in the main. Actually, no Dreadboard in the 75 in four general. Four Power Word Kill. I love that. And then four Fable and 25 lands. And then a bunch of one-ofs in the board, which I'm questioning a little bit, but he went eight and one. I cannot... I mean, again, it can away. be the open deck list thing, right? Yeah. Where you're no, like... No, I mean, actually, that's more for game one if you'd have one-offs open deck list thing. But I don't know. Like, um... Depends on what the one-offs are, too. If they're, like, a bunch of, like, I win the game they're... kind of silver bullets. Well, then... let me tell you. There's 15 cards in the sideboard, of course, right? There right. are, as far as multiples are concerned, three Leyline of the Void, two Blood Cheese Thirst... 
That is where it starts and ends. Three ley line. Fuck. So three ley line, two blood juice thirst. Everything else is a one of. One duress, one rending volley, one abraid, one noxious grasp, one reckoner bank buster, one go blank, one hit Sugu consumes all, one extinction event, one soar in the mirthless, and one sky sovereign console flagship. I think with some of these, though, depending on how you have like your sideboard plan, they kind of like go into each other. Like rending volley and noxious grasp are like in some matchups, which is kind of the same card. So, like. It, it like the noxious grass serves like double duty because it's good against green but like noxious grass kills everything in mono white it kills grease fang um it also so, like, comes against can, control for like teferi yeah, wandering then, emperor yeah exactly so like it, it, like i could see why like some of these cards do play like double duty or like they're two cards with like two different cards but they kind of do the same thing so there's a lot of matchups where you probably just bring in both so i can i can see that i just got three ley line just i'm also the kind of person that likes doing three instead of four <laughs> i'm very greedy i'm like i want that extra sideboard slot dude i am a greedy boy You're a um greedy boy. we also see grease fang uh do not incredibly well in terms of raw numbers but we do see a decent amount at least you know one here one there in terms of top eight i got second place at the sophia tournament got like fifth place in uh sunday's dream hack event i think it might have had another or no it was uh like eighth place um we see mono white mono green but i want to talk about some of the ones that maybe were surprises in both the sense that they were we talked about mono green already that underperformed a little bit because people were ready for it i guess like you said the open deck list played a part but there are other decks in here that either showed up a little bit in some number that we didn't really expect or just didn't show up at all. And I want to start with the first one that comes to mind. There's a few of these, but let's talk about ones that didn't show up first. Uh, Boat, the boat deck. I don't see hardly any of those anywhere. In in Gruel Vehicles was 5% of the field in Atlanta. And in... Um, so Sophia, it was it's melee is not very great at sorting his archetypes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, okay. So Brad um, Nelson made a point of this because someone got like a, a few hundred likes on Twitter saying that like basically it was uh, someone because people were you know think they're funny and people will like name their decks like things they aren't. For example, yeah. someone said Bant Hogak for a deck that was just mono green. And that was a screenshot, and they're like, "Ha ha, you're so funny!" Like the whole, like the meme of like you got the whole squad laughing. It's just a straight face. <laughs> um, so you have that. But Brad Nelson replied to that, said, "Hey, if you email either straight up myself or anyone else part of the team or the support ticket, we will f- we'll get the email on our phones and we'll fix it pretty much immediately. So if you see deck lists that are named wrong because they want to be funny." or it's just a general error and uh you know like genuinely then we'll fix that. Yeah, I think what but threw it, me off now is that everything's on twice for some reason. But yeah. uh Gruel vehicles it had number of decks 17. So in Europe it was 4% of the field. Mm-hmm. And it was 5% of the field in um Atlanta, but I can see why. 
because um, I believe Gruul had the reputation that it was good against Rakdos and Mono Green, right? Right. That that was kind of so it let, like it was good against Mono Especially Green with like the main deck uh, Acroa War, and then it was just like because Boat was so good against Rakdos, so it had like a decent Rakdos matchup. But mm-hmm. I can see like the three D like the th- the four D chess right. If I'm gonna expect a lot of mono green, I can play a deck that is good against mono green. But if everybody expects mono green, don't I expect the best players to also be on decks that are good against mono green? Mm-hmm. So shouldn't I then be on a deck that is good against the deck that is good against mono green? Right? You kind of like talk yourself out of it. Yeah. So I could see that. And also, I think a lot of people weren't like super convinced of how good the deck was because there were a lot of like weird changes and we saw a lot of lists. I saw some lists with like that two mana 3-3 legendary from From Brothers War. From Brothers War. And then like initiated that list with like four scavenging ooze. And it kind of felt like the deck wasn't really like Solved, where people wanted like it to be fine-tuned yeah I, yeah I think, so yeah, there were also there's like, a thing of like are people playing fable or not some lists are just not playing any yeah. 75 some are climbing up to two or three so it's i think like, the problem with you find people felt like we weren't really know what to play and there was like like a kind of like a stock mono green and a stock phoenix and like a stock mono white so if you're selecting your deck maybe like if you're like hey this deck has been like doing well in the challenge and it has been almost the same 75 for five weeks in a row right i can be pretty confident in saying this is a de- at least a decent 75 if the 75 is different like wildly different from week to week well then maybe the deck's still in like a lot of like turmoil and now that everyone is starting to keep like their deck secret and people are tuning both but like without telling each other am i just gonna be on a bad deck True. That's the same as, like, there wasn't a ton of Karuga Fires, even though the deck's been pretty popular, but also because that deck's pretty new. Yeah, I saw a decent amount of numbers in the top, like, towards the top 32 and stuff like that, but there's, like, a lot of 5 and 3s, 6 and 2, that, those kind of, like, results uh, for yeah, DreamHack. win percentage, at least in Europe, is terrible. It had a 40% match win percentage, Karuga Fires. It was, mm. I think, the worst performing deck at least from, like, the top ones. There's multiple pages. But I'm just looking at the top first page. So this is, like, I don't know, something like top 12 most played decks or something. And it is, by a pretty wide margin, the worst performing one. Interestingly enough, uh, one of the DreamHack decks for Sunday, I thought might have been Gruul Boat. It was Gruul Midrange. I click on it, and it's not. It went 7-2 by Craig Rocco. It's 8 Elves, 3 Scoos, 4 Giant... Four Love Struck Beast, four Glory Bringer, four Terror of the Peaks, four Dragon's Fire, three uh, Shatter Skull Smashing, four Fable the Mirror Breaker, and then 22 lands plus your three Shatter Skulls. Gold and Dragons. then I just. Yeah. Um, Shit, I love that. It looked pretty cool. Went seven and two. Um, Terror of the Peaks is one of those cards I think is really cool. God, I wish we'd get a reprint in a commander set or some bullshit because fuck, it is so pricey for no goddamn reason other than it being a random core set fucking mythic. That's every time. Uh, yeah, that too. Every time there's a core set mythic that is remotely playable 
and it's cheap because we're close enough to the release of it. Fucking buy them. Buy them. I do not give advice on purchasing cards very much because I don't like being held reliable for those things or held accountable. But Auto-dink holy shit. Mythics. Buy them. <laughs> what have I said on this fucking cast for the last two fucking years? Corset Mythic. Buy them. Fucking get them. Look at Soren. He's still 35 a fucking piece. Do vampires see play in Pioneer anymore? No! But when we get another vampire that makes the archetype better, like if... What if... What if uh, Shadow's Misery was a two-mana vampire? For example. Like, something like that would instantly make the, the archetype... Or if Shieldred's text box was printed on a vampire. E- exactly. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Whew. You're... <laughs> You're, you're making me feel a certain Imagine kind of way, Imagine playing on four and then playing oh. a champion of Dusk on turn five. Oh. 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 No, no, no. I'm playing it on three. <laughs> yeah, but then you haven't got the other one in play yet. That's fine. Yeah. Play another one. And you play uh, champion I'll, I'll, on three. I'll, I'll follow and then the up, I'll follow up with four, And then another. Oh, yeah, that works too. Yeah, Soren, but, three. That, that, but anyway, get your fucking mythics of corsets before they spike if you see any i think we're too far beyond the releases of these corsets where they're kind of like going to be consistent where they are now but hey sometimes randomly people look at these decks and you're like or like you know like a, uh, these old cards and you're like wow that, that's really cool but this is a cool deck i think it's really interesting i like it a lot i think terror of the peaks is a very underrated card i think it's a very powerful card especially in constructed uh, of course yeah commander yada 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 Whatever, I don't give a flying fuck about Commander in this context. But in Constructed, Terror of the Peaks is really cool. It could do a lot of really interesting things, uh, even though it's a very simple design, right? It deals damage when things enter. But that can stack, especially with cards like Gorebringer, Bunkers of Giant, Lovestruck Beast. These cheaper, you know, three-mana big toughness creatures... And they're not going anything crazy. Sometimes you see Terror of the Peaks, those kind of decks go uh, get a little too lost in the sauce where they're like, I need to play the fucking, what's the giant that, uh, that has a venture search for a, the seven drop? A search for a land equal to the amount of uh, yeah, power equal to the giant. amount of lands. Yeah. People play that kind of card. They're like, I can ramp, but I can ramp into my Terror of the Peaks, ramp into this and do that. But like, it's not necessary. You see here, consistent, clean list. Have a card that can actually benefit from the fact that you're playing Glorybringer and Terror and Dragon's Fire. Some nice removal. Fable is good. Some just good, consistent three drops. And, and dorks to get out your three drops on turn two, your five drops on turn four. That's what you want to see. That's a great, great deck design. And this is a deck that probably even get better. But I see your face lighting up a little bit, Alex. What deck caught your eye? Yo, the, the Brazilians are bringing some fucking spice. Uh, I looked at their top eight real quick. So first of all, if you like one-offs, you're gonna like the third place Demir control list. One Ashiok Nightmare Muse, one Soren the Mirthless, one Scarab God, one Urtai, one Extinction Event, one Dig Through Time, one Memory Deluge, one Negate, one Rona's Fort, uh, Coil, whatever the bounce thing, one Cling mm. to Dust, one Celestis, one Mitug Massacre, and one Search for Ascanta on the main. <laughs> Talk about drawing the right half of your deck. We'll get there. This came through. That's amazing. Like, there's like a million one-offs. There's one Siphon Insight in the sideboard. Like, do you even know what that does? Siphon Insight. I know the card. Hold on. 
That's the oh, that's the two mana Demir card that steals with flashback that can steal a card off the top of your opponent's deck, right? Yeah, I just love that there's just one. <laughs> so important. <laughs> Uh, because it feels like well, it is like nickel and dime. Even oh, the sideboard is two mystical dispute, two disdainful stroke, two Kalidas. Rest is all one-offs. Uh, two. Um, and they're not even playing Lutri. The I I have to quickly like it's hard to find. There was the um, sixth place list is Celestia Company, mm-hmm. but it is the weirdest fucking deck list I've ever seen. Is it like, not like the classic like uh, voice no, no, it's, type it's shit? No, no. It's got a bunch of, well, to an extent. So it's got that, right? It's got six elves and then four Coco and two voice of resurgence and like some anointed peacekeepers. And then it's got um, one fierce empath that can search okay. six drops, yeah. one titan of industry, one decimator uh-huh. of that's the provinces, a seven drop. A okay, Moonblast Cleric that I think can only get Elspeth Conqueror's Death, which is also in the deck. One okay. Augur of Adam. Two Phyrexian Revoker. An Eldrazi Displacer. <laughs> like, oh my god, what is this list? What's the six drop it finds? The Fierce Empath. Oh, it's just six or greater, so you just find Decimator oh, okay. or Titan of Industry. Okay, but I like, thought it was straight up just six. Okay, six or greater. Because I was like, just, I, that's a seven a... drop, that's a ten drop. What the fuck are we finding? It's, it's got two of that, like, Simeon prototype that we talked about. The two-one that puts two counters on something. Yeah. Four Selfless Spirit. Like, what the, the fuck main? is this lit? Yeah. What the fuck? Is yeah, there an Archon like, of Myria? Uh, they're on the board. Okay. <laughs> containment period. There is a Linvala in the sideboard. That one from Oath of the Gatewatch that says if your opponent has more creatures, you get an angel. If they have a higher life total, you gain life. I think it's Levala oh, the yeah. Preserver. What the fuck is this deck? But it's How got two do? Court of Calling. You know, in case you want a court for a Titan of Industry. <laughs> How did it do? What was its record? It got sixth in the top eight. I yeah. mean, when your opponent has no idea what the, the fuck you're doing, I guess you're playing with an advantage, Oh, hold right? the fuck up. It's a Yori on deck, too. <laughs> I oh didn't even God. notice. I was like, how does it run all these weird cards? And then I, it's a Yori on deck. It's like, hello, I reveal Yori as my companion. Okay, cool. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this just makes wow. me happy. This, this person... Uh, Tulio Jowdy? I, I, that is mispronounced. I'm very sorry. Um, this is this is a genius deck. The two remorseful cleric in the main. Because you know what? Fuck it. You want to cord up some graveyard hate? Dude, what is more like Chad than your opponent plays Greasefang? targets Parhelion the second and in response you tutor up a Phyrexian Revoker and name Parhelion the second. That's really funny. And then in the next turn they're like, oh I'll get a chariot. And then no, and then they're like target chariot. Oh now I'll get the remorseful cleric and exile your graveyard. Then I'm gonna play a chariot and then you're like, alright, guess I'll get a Phyrexian Revoker uh, get a Eldrazi displacer, flicker my revoker, and now name chariot. <laughs> 
<laughs> Your opponent has to be like, what the fuck is going on? There's five, there's six lands that produce... Oh, there's six lands that produce colorless and one displaces. You just grab it when you need it. But fuck, this list is amazing. This makes me so happy. Like, I love lists like this, man. They just make me laugh, but, like, in the best way possible. So speaking of interesting lists, uh, I know we were talking about, like, things that were like, surprising or whatever, uh, as far as, like... I don't think there's really any other big representations of or lack thereof of decks that we expected to be there but weren't. Uh, Lotus Field had a decent resurgence, I think, day one of DreamHack. I think it fell off a bit day two. Um, it it had the overall, highest win rate in Atlanta. Yeah, like 70 fucking day. percent, right? Uh, f- 58 overall, but I don't oh, know. Okay. I think it day did very one, well day one. But. Day one, it had 70 percent. I remember seeing that graphic. But as far as decks that were surprised a little bit, that showed up in addition to this weird you know, Con- uh, Concord fucking Selesnya deck. Uh, one that I want to touch on, which is not a deck that we expected to see because it's one that I don't think is very played very often, is Demir Combo. And of course, the combo is Narset Days Undoing, your favorite thing to do in Magic, Wonderful. Alex. And it just looks like a Demir Control deck. Four Narset, four Days Undoing, two Notion Thief. You'll be happy to see that, Alex. I love that card. Okay. My good friend, my good friend, draw fourteen. Four consider, four push, three Rona's Vortex, a card that we kind of had our eye on upon the release of you know Dominaria. Um, we thought it was kind of cool, could see constructed play, and it is now, at least in this deck. Two Spell Pierce, four Sensor, of course, four days in doing. Three Baleful Mastery, another card that you have such a huge love for. You love letting your opponent draw cards. But wait, Alex, if you have Narset out, they don't. Yay! Now my Narset is an even better card. Because that's what one I need extinction to build my event. decks about. One Ritual of Soot. I haven't seen this card played in a hot minute. That's the... And even another one on the side. gets popped, right? Yeah. I mean, if everyone's a company decks, then... <laughs> Two Dig Through Time, one Shark Type in the main. And then a couple of Hall of Storm Giants. Um, and then you have your board of, again... The control thing doing control things. Bunch of one-ofs. Two Disdainful Stroke, two Mystical Dispute, two Witch's Vengeance, and here... Oh, and then two Tassiger, and then one Cling to Dust, one Raven Be- uh, Feeblement, which I haven't seen played since fucking Winota. One Negate, one Extinction Event, one Notion Thief, one Ritual of Soot, one Shark Typhoon. So again, the same idea that the Azorius control deck had is... A couple copies of cards that you want to bring in that are not already in your main deck. And then your one-ofs are mostly, ex- with the exception of Cling to Dust and Rave Enfeeblement. Um, and I won't even say Negate, because Negate kind of fits in with like your Spell Pierce Sensor kind of thing. Just an additional counterspell for two. Um, but your Extinction Event, Notion Thief, Ritual Soot, Shark Typhoon are all things that are just like adding more to the, the cards you already have in your main deck. More copies of them. You want to see them more often. Um, this deck... Is weird to me. I'm interested to see how it did so well. I'd want to see gameplay of it because in my experience of playing a Narset, Days Undoing type of deck, whether it's in Demir, Mono Blue, whatever, when you get to that combo, if it's on turn four, for example, um, you want to wait a little bit because you want to like sweep up the board first or like keep keeping that at bay. I guess that's why Rona's Vortex is nice in the deck because it's just a bounce spell that in the later game can be removal, essentially, by putting it to the bottom. Um, 
So the deck always has weird play patterns, right? Because when you want to wheel, they might have a board that's a bit too established because where you do wheel, it ends the turn. And now you're like, well, shit, I'm just going to get smacked in the face by five creatures or whatever, that kind of thing. Um, so I, I really want to see how this deck played because they don't have very many win conditions. It's just the Shark Typhoon and the Notion Thief in the main, right? There's no other ways to I mean, when face. you flash in a Notion Thief and then your opponent gets no cards, you draw 14. Well, yeah, that, of course. That'll do. <laughs> but you're, so, you're also only running two, um, and you have the spot move. Like I, I just again, this is a deck that I want to see how it played because it's a weird one to play from someone that's tried playing it. And I'm not as big of a control player, especially this type of control. I think I'm decent with Azorius control. I like that style. I like that kind of like you know just you know draw go kind of thing. This Demir, Grixis, those type of colors where you kind of even Esper to an extent are a bit more proactive oftentimes. Yes, there's a lot of counter spells, and I know you like to go draw go and and your things, but you have enough of those spells that are in black that make you, and especially Narset, that make you do a little bit more on your turn in comparison to what Azorius typically does. There's definitely a more like proactive element to these decks where they can. Like they can go on the aggressive, so like in the control yeah. matchup, what what I found recently, and this is, um, you know, I I my sample size is too small to say whether or not this is the right thing to do, but at one point I was playing on Magic Online and I played some FNMs. I got just really poor. I hate playing against blue white. I I don't like control mirrors and playing against blue white's like the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're also kind of tech like, for for you because right, just wandering up her alone. Yeah, is a great so thing. I really felt like I don't even feel like playing this matchup. So I'm just going to like play my cards and let them have it. Like I'm just going to slam just every turn. Just slam, 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 play a gear hook with nothing to flash back. Just to have a threat, just slam shit. And I won. And then I had another match and I did that again. And then I went to my store championship and I was, I think, 0-2. And, and I had to go against Blue White. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck, I don't friend of mine was playing, I was like, I'm just going to do the old strategy of, you know, slamming cards because I kind of can't be bothered. And I, I won again. And I won so fast that I went to get lunch. And then came back and I was in time for the next round. Even though my round was against Blue-White and I was on a control mm-hmm. deck. And I was like, maybe that's just how I should play against Blue-White. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe that, I that should just let him really have it. What it is. <laughs> yeah, like just slam shit and be like, look, you can Because if we go stuff. late, You've got your but. stupid fucking castle and your 17 Dovins veto, so I'm never winning if we go to the late game. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I need to win early, so I'm just going to fucking go for it. You know, the old day nine strategy, just fucking kill him. Don't think about it too much. <laughs> Get him dead. There's one but, other deck I want to talk about real quick. Go ahead. But before we do that, here's a wonderful ad break by yours truly and Alex. Hey, Alex, if listeners want to go and support the show, how can they do that? Well, for starters, they can go over to patreon.com slash Pioneer Perspective, where there are multiple tiers in which they can show our support to us. And the more you go up in tiers, the more benefits you get. For example, you can suggest topics for episodes, or when you go into higher tiers, you will basically just be like, hey, talk about this, and we will. Then there's also other ways to support us by going to inkgaming.com. 
and using our affiliate link where you can either find our merch or even through our affiliate link just buy other merch at ingaming.com and that still helps us out too. We also write articles on playingpioneer.com so if you want to read stuff about various different things like my Like a True Pioneer series where I explore different decks, Alex's Grixis Grabs where he looks at new cards from every set that goes into Grixis, they're both there and more, as well as we have socials on Twitter, Alex is... Alex Lorthwain. And I am Brad Sifer. So if you want to go ahead and follow us on there where we babble about random stuff with magic, you can. And of course, there is the Discord Play Away where you can go ahead and hop and play some paper magic where you also get access to the mailbag every week. We also want to shout out and thank Card Hoarder for letting us join the creator uh, network with them. And if you want to get some MTGO cards and rent them, go ahead and do that with Card Hoarder. Now back to the show. And we're back. Hello. Speaking of decks that popped off well i use that with a grain of salt right i i, I it's maybe a little bit of an over exaggeration in terms of how it popped off because again just like the demir deck it's not like they had a vast showing of like 12 copies in top eight it's like where the fuck did this deck come from but the fact that these decks came up into top eight in general i'm very interested in and the next one is angels angels is a deck that i've been a fan of for a while and Alex did you ever think that Angels would become a 8 or 7 Coco deck well obviously I talked about Kyla's reconstruction in um, with our top 10 as like a sort of honorable mention thing at the end I envisioned it in humans but then I saw it in Angels and I was like oh fucking course this deck plays it it makes way more sense than like, humans because this is the Coco deck I think it makes sense in humans to an extent, like definitely as like a sideboardy thing. But like, yeah, just like two or three copies in the main of this because your deck is just like good three drop dot deck. Like, yeah, like absolutely. Like, and you your your interaction spell in portable hole is also an artifact, so you can hit that. Like, yeah, this made so much sense, and it actually looked so strong that there were multiple angels matches where people hit. I think there was a match where someone won both games, even though they cast a Kyla's Reconstruction on, like, turn 5 for, like, X equals 3, mm. because they had Nickfuls, and they hit one card. And they still won that match, and then I think in ga- uh, that game, and then in game 2, same shit happened, and they still won. So like, Yeah, this is the thing that makes it, because the minimum is, what, 26, 27 for Coco? It's, like, 26, right? That's the minimum for creatures. I think people even um, go with 28 as a minimum, but like... So the, we're seeing the Angel decks with like four Coco, three Reconstructions, and they're going 27 creatures. So that's a little suspect. I think maybe it might be wise to go two and four. Um, they're all they're also running the two Portable Hole in the main. Um, so I don't know. It's tough to say. They're, they're running a one of Skyclave Cleric in this version to have an extra land drop, I suppose. I'm not a big fan of that card. Um, well, um, it's also a cleric for Righteous Valkyrie. Yeah. Because Righteous Valkyrie also triggers on clerics. So this card, if you have a Righteous Valkyrie in play, you play a Skyclave Cleric, you gain five. And that triggers your Resplendent Angel. So True. I actually think it makes quite a bit of sense. I think it's a very clever ink. Now that I'm reading it, I'm like, this, this is actually like pretty clever. I like this. Uh, what do you think about the Charming Prince in this one? Um, yeah, I've got one pulled up where I don't see this as Voice of Resurgence, but um, I think Charming Prince is, like, reasonable. Um, 
Is Charming Prince, that's not a cleric, right? It's a noble, a human noble. Yeah. Um, so that wouldn't like get that trigger, but you know, you can. It does gain the three life towards, um, you know. Yeah, I'm thinking three life angel. or you can flicker something. But obviously that does trigger on your end step. So that means you don't get a Resplendent Angel trigger because you're already in your end step. So I, I don't know what to make of Charming Prince in the deck, to be frank. Yeah, maybe um, the Scry is just that valuable in the early game. Um, it can be. You know, maybe but, maybe you know if there's an angel on top of your decks, you can upkeep Coco. <laughs> Sorry, I, I had to make the joke. Yeah, yeah. So we, we there was that whole thing with the person with the foil uh, Cocos from a secret lair that were curled and they got DQ'd because of it. That's what the, the story started out as. And then it became a thing where people were saying that like they saw them uh, they're on 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 uh, camera. On stream. They randomly yeah. went for an upkeep Coco, which yep. seemed a little bit odd. But to be yep. honest, that doesn't even tip me off. I saw some people argue about it, and uh, especially because the cards that were foil, so the curled cards, most of them were actually bad Coco hits. I think it was like a bunch of lands. Uh, their Cocos were foil, uh, and I think like a brutal Cathar or something was for yeah but so the if also, you know also the, the thinking of that is if you see like if in theory if you are using that to gain an advantage and you see the bad cards that are curled because usually people you know mark the good cards to hit so the the big brain play is to mark the bad cards to hit so you see where they are in the deck and you're like i'm not yeah, gonna but- hit those yeah, okay. We didn't know if the top card of a deck was a foil, was a curved. I don't think we knew that. But I think what kind of threw me off is I'm pretty sure you don't get DQ'd for that. Like, you get a game loss, right? For marked cards. So, yeah, the if you get DQ'd, more going on. yeah, there has to be more going on. So, the only thing that I can pretty definitively say is that there is more to the story than the person said but what that more to the story is i don't know but yeah the upkeep coco on camera is just like weird but not necessarily something that would make me say oh they're a cheater but there was someone in the comments for something that shouldn't give you a dq yeah there was someone in the comments being like i also play angels and there are multiple times in the tournament where i thought about upkeeping the coco um, and I was like, but why? Well, if you have Charming Prince, your deck, you could potentially hit it and get a scry. I, that's so narrow, though. That's a very narrow, like, thing. I mean, I, that's the desperation thing. Okay, I'll put it this way. Alex, it, it, I was thinking about it. If we were casting an event, right, and we were watching someone play Angels, if I saw someone upkeep their Coco, I'd immediately be like, that's an interesting play. Alex, why the fuck are they doing that? Yeah. Like, <laughs> that, that's... Like, what do you think they're trying to do here? And I was even trying to think of, like, what you would say. And I'm like, I don't think there'd be much of substance to go over. No. <laughs> right? <laughs> that's the thing. So that's why I'm confused a little bit. I'd love to hear from if people in our audience I Also, play it's Angels. an out-of-context clip. I have no idea if they actually played a Charming Prince a turn before. Yeah. And, like, they saw a good card of Charming Prince. Like, that could be. But what's the difference between, you know... I guess it's the difference of that card being in your hand versus it on the field, I guess, right? Yeah, if, if there's uh, like if there's like a your top cards with Scar- Charming Prince, it's a bad card and a good Coco hit, then you put it on top. But then you don't want to first draw the good Coco hit. You just want to cast mm-hmm. the Coco. 
and get at yeah. least a good hit. And maybe like the other card in your hand is like a portable whore or something that you could cast alongside the Goko. So you know you're not going to actually spend the, the mana on that good three drop. So you just rather hit it off the Coco. So like I could definitely see that there are situations where you could do an upkeep Coco. So that doesn't really throw me off immediately. Well, it throws me off a little bit, but I'm not like convinced immediately. But there mm. were some other things that were a bit fishy. Yeah, but, but outside of that whole for. thing, outside of that whole thing, Angels in general is a really cool deck. It seems like a very boring deck at face value because it's just trying to do the same thing over and over again. You're trying to gain a shitload of life, blow your opponent out of the water, make it unreachable for them to kind of catch up. Uh, has a very good Rakdos matchup, I think. Um, yeah. Because Rakdos is trying to go one for one, and once you start gaining life, you're just like, I'm cool with doing this top deck bullshit because if I top deck a Coco or a Resplendent uh, Angel that you need to kill and things like that and I can just kind of start snowballing even from a Hellbent perspective, that's where it seems really good Especially to me. if now you're the 8 Coco deck and you're against exactly. Rakdos. Like, especially because Kyla's Reconstruction is a ridiculous top deck. Like, yeah, if you could just sink like game. 4 mana into it and you actually mm-hmm. hit 4 cards of it, like, imagine casting 2 Cocos. <laughs> like... Exactly. Game ends. So, I think Angels is a really cool deck. It's a deck I've wanted to own in paper for so long, but I cannot bring myself to invest in Resplendent Angel. I just well, can't and, do it. And Righteous Valkyrie, too. Well, that yeah, one's let me 25 drop, bucks like, for a playset. That's not too bad. It's still a silly amount for an uncommon. Yeah. Bishop that of is Wings absolutely is the one where I'm like, yeah. Like, Bishop, Bishop is a good card. Is like, it's, it's 20 bucks for a playset. Oh, yeah, that's another one. But, like, yeah, you feel that Valkyrie. <laughs> A corset rare. These fucking corset cards. Oh, look. Hey, hey, Alex. What is Resplendent Angel? It's a corset mythic. They could have made Angels a jump start. Print the fuck out of it. But They should have. They really should have. Holy shit. But yeah. I really like this deck. I think it's really cool. I'm a big fan of it. I want to play it. I have the Cocos. I have all the lands. Um, that would also give me an excuse to take my Bant uh, humans deck and just go into mono white with that and then take the Selesnia lands and make the angel deck but again I, un- until they reprint Resplendent Angel and I guess to a lesser extent Youthful Valkyrie I'm not interested in getting them because the, it's just because if I don't do it now Resplendent Angel is going to keep going up as time goes by without a reprint yeah uh, so especially if the deck continues to do well so that was another deck I was just super interested in seeing. Um, and we yeah. see some cool cyborg cards, like there's an Ajani Strength of the Pride. That's kind of cool. Cool. Um, what was the other thing I wanted to talk about? So um, I think another deck that has been on you know people's radar a little bit, and it wasn't like super. It was like, I think some of it is classified as is a tempo, so it makes up like a couple percent of the field, was Creativity. And yeah. there were actually two, there's actually two versions of creativity. So there's um, the more like combo version of creativity that goes into World Spine Worm and Xenagos. And that just makes a 30 30 haste trampler and one shot your opponent hilariously, unless they're on angels. Because if you give them time, angels can very comfortably get above 30 life. Um, I do think you get to keep the World Spine Worm though. So it's not like you're out of trouble if you survive the hit, but maybe you can swing on the crackback. Um, 
and there's also the Torrential Gearhawk, um, I want to see a Hullbreaker Horror version, which is more of a control deck with like Magma Opus and Creative Outburst. Um, and it does like, it plays like a bit of a like fairer, like less combo y game plan. And every time I saw it, deck looked pretty good. Like, I wasn't like blown away, and we've seen the deck already, so it's not a new deck. I think the deck did reasonably well, and it seemed to have a, you know, I think I saw it, like shit on Rectals a few times because it just, it can't really beat it game one. Because you just make a bunch of artifact tokens that they can't interact with, and you just go turn four big score, turn five hit you for 30. Yeah, and even something like, uh, what's it called? Uh, the Brother's End, that sweeper. Um, that's not as I mean, they probably make the tokens on end step. That's that's what I'm saying. Like you, you, you get rid of some of their, you know, treasures or whatever. But then they're like, I'm gonna make two more, and then still creativity in the next turn anyway. Yeah. So, uh, uh, and another deck. Yeah, we already mentioned it a little bit in uh, Lotus Field. And if I now look at the win rates for um, Atlanta again, it actually had the highest in uh, mm-hmm. Atlanta. And in Sofia, I believe Sofia, Sofia, I'm, I'm butchering all these pronunciations. Um, it was, it didn't perform as was still a fifty-five percent win rate, which is still like above most other decks. But I don't think it was the most winning deck. Uh, there's some with like a sixty-six percent win rate, but those are like single-digit decks. Um, I got beat out by Rectal Sack which was also played a double-digit amount. Oh, and it was actually only... I had eight copies. Oh, no, eight and then eight again. Yeah, I think only eight copies. So it wasn't as played in um, Europe, but it did pretty well, and I'm not surprised by that at all. I'm pretty sure in the week leading up, it already did like reasonably well in challenges too, because, well, what's the last time you've seen a damping sphere in a sideboard? Except for the one of in mono green to get out with Karn, not really. Yeah, but now they can also just stone brain your combo pieces, and then you, true, <laughs> you're fucked anyway. So, um, yeah. So I think like Lotus Field is like still a deck you you need to have like on your radar. I wouldn't really like. I wouldn't suddenly start putting Dampic Sphere on my sideboard. Uh, I would look to get them with collateral damage. I think that is like a better way to go about it. So you know, there's a lot of decks that like have their mystical disputes um you know you've got your stone brain in your uh, mono green deck you've got your spell pierces and stuff in your uh obviously disdainful stroke can help them too because their big payoff spells are very expensive so you've got ways to go about um dealing with um lotus so i wouldn't be like too worried about it but i think it's a deck to keep in mind and also if you're if you like Lotus, I think now is a decent time to pick it up and get some reps in. Because you might catch some people of guard who are still not going to give the deck the respect that it probably deserves. Yeah, Lotus Field is a, a deck that's not fun to play against, but it's one that, it, like we said before, it's the uh, the dredge of the format, right? It, it I don't hate it. You die kind of quick. So... Well, not as quick anymore. It's not like deterministic, like with Underworld Breach, where it's just like, okay, you got me. But well, now they get if they get a merge ultimatum, you, usually you're like, you'll look at what they pull and you kind of think it over, and you're like, yeah, let's go to game two. 
yeah, that exactly. kind of thing. Um, very God, remember when the deck wasn't playing that? I'm pretty sure when there was, was like a time where they, where they didn't play Emergent Ultimatum, and they just yeah. like fucked about together a win condition. Mm-hmm. And they were just yeah, like, oh yeah, like... when I like draw a bunch of cards and untap a bunch, yeah. I'm sure I'll it's find when they would wishboard stuff. They would wishboard like uh, for um, like uh, Jace and that kind of thing. Yeah, like this draw is so much clear. deck. It, it really is. Um, Merge Ultimatum is a really cool card. It's kind of unfortunate that it's a, <laughs> the wing condition of Lotus Field and not like a you know Soul Tide mid range kind of deck, right? We need more time really for cool. that. If we could turn it into time stretch like they did in Historic, then uh, then we're talking. Yeah, give us that one card. Well, just the straight five mana one. Yeah. Um, yeah, Time Walk is the two mana one. Time Warp is the yeah. five mana one, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Even that would probably be too good for Pioneer. I mean, actually, we have five back. Time Walks, so... Uh, three. We have three Time Walks, so we could make a time stretch if we want. As you got Temporal Trespass, Partner Waterville, and Auron's Epiphany. So we could. All those are six or seven mana, though. Yeah, exactly. So well, there's less technically like three up. for. It, yeah, it's harder to chain them together. But I think if you if you gave us the five mana one, it would bring back that fucking Nexus type deck, right? It's not instant, <laughs> but yeah, we don't have Reclamation. But I think you can still make use of like the Fog type of idea. They just five do mana this, is like, pretty manageable. Um, band, band Turbo Fog kind of thing. Well, are there any other decks that kind of stood out to you as like interesting or like ones that kind of like were surprising? Oh, no, not, we start we, we started off on the to best the, uh, one. takes. So, uh, I think we can move on to the best next thing. All right. So, if you've been around on Twitter since the uh the Dreamhack, uh Atlanta happened and Sofia and Brazil, you're seeing a lot of pro players or MTGO grinders, right? Come out of the woodwork once again, saying that Pioneer is a bad format. Uh, one of the main things people are attributing that to is, of course, they're comparing it to modern. That's what they're all going to do because they're all modern players. And don't don't compare Pioneer to Modern Challenge. Impossible. Yeah, and the reason they think it it's not as good is because, though, I kind of agree with it. We saw some weird takes, right? The one where it's like, you know, because they banned things like Kethis, Reclamation, Teferi, stuff like that, it made Pioneer worse. Yeah, they're like, your format is now boring and stale. And I was like, what fucking RCs have you been watching? (laughs) Yeah. But the other thing is that there's a huge discrepancy in Pioneer between play and draw, which I do agree with. I think that is a, a little bit of an issue where, like, most games where you're on the draw, you're going to lose, and most games you're on the I, play, you're going to win. It feels like 70-30. I don't agree with that, really, other than elf decks. It's literally just elf decks. Like, I think I feel Rakdos like against, too. Like, maybe that's from my perspective, but like, like playing control mostly, but like, you know, it's really only green where I feel like if I'm on the draw and I don't stop them turn one they're going to run away with the game. Mm-hmm. But so many other decks, I feel like I feel like I have a decent fighting chance. Like, yeah, they're definitely favored. I think it's it's very fair criticism that play draw 
is a very important in Pioneer, and that makes the format to an extent high variance, you know, which is also a complaint I've seen. Which is really like, yeah, it's kind of coin flip variance at the start of the game, and that kind of sucks. But like, you know, just just play Phoenix with six one-mana interaction spells then, if you don't like that. It's less of a problem if you want to play now. On the draw. So. I think there's some truth to it. I think that in matchups where it's like a Rakdos deck and another creature deck, and that can, even outside of Elves, things that run Fable, um, things that have ways to like make those splashy plays on turn three and four to that are card advantage to get ahead, things like Fable, things like Coco, stuff like that, even without Elves, like for example, Angels doesn't play Elves. Yeah. Um, those are ones where you can feel like you are really far behind once they get that option to go ahead of you and even in some cases if you're on a control deck like you are alex there are times where those your counter spells don't line up as well as you want them to because you're on the draw versus on the play where you really want your three mana counter as opposed to your two mana that kind of thing yeah Uh, so and the reason people compare that to modern is because thanks to the free spells um like uh force of negation your uh evoke elementals things like that that allow you as the person on the draw to catch up because you can catch your opponent by surprise or even though it's really not much of a surprise that you're seeing those cards being played, but they're ones you have to keep in mind where you can evoke your free fury or solitude or whatever to be like, I'm going to take care of that answer right now. And now we're back on the same playing field. I went down a card in my hand if I'm doing like force negation, stuff like that. But at least we're now uneven playing field but at the same time does that that begs the question of does that type of gameplay promote a healthy environment i think modern is diverse enough where it's cool and it's nice to watch and stuff like that but as a player i know i wouldn't really enjoy it Uh, but as a spectator i do enjoy it it's well, not something like, I want to play. Some in. people that do, I think my point is just that no free spells and no fetches is a like defining feature of Pioneer to me. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't, if they're like the format would like, you know, I mean, whatever you make, the play draw discrepancy would be less impactful if Fury got printed into Pioneer. Do you want Fury and Pioneer? I'd say no. No. Because I just don't like the card. Like, I understand that the play-draw discrepancy is a big deal, but there's other ways to go about that. Um, Like, with cards that could still be printed. And I think because I don't have too much to comment on this, because I think the only critique that is fair is that there is a big play-draw difference, especially, I will say, in green matchups. Like, mm-hmm. elf decks abuse the fuck out of being on the play. And yeah. I think that's also what makes them so good. Is that if you win that coin flip and you're on the play, your chance to win just got really high. And it didn't involve you doing anything. So you just had a really... You're now in a really big... Like, you're in a driver's seat. And it doesn't take any skill. Because you just need to win the coin flip and be on an elf deck. And... I think that is the weakest point of Pioneer. But whatever, right? Well, Formats that have weak points. Up, yeah, well, that ends up being attributed to the thing we've heard for quite a while now as far as a 
I think, a fair criticism. There's a lot of unfair criticism with anything that people enjoy, right? Like, doesn't matter Phil if we're talking legal, about Pioneer. Like, fuck off. Yeah, stuff like that. <laughs> um, but regardless of if we're talking about Magic, you know, or specifically formats in Magic, or even any other kind of hobby that people like, or games that are, have a competitive edge to them, there's always going to be unfair criticisms and unfair things that people have suggestions for, like the idea of like unbanned or banned thoughtsies kind of thing, stuff like that. Yeah. Or banned fable, for example. Though, one valid piece of criticism that I think can be fair to an extent, but it's a really hard one to fix in my mind without going too far in a single direction of overly good spells. And that is the discrepancy between good threats and not enough ways to remove them that line up nicely. I think that one's a little bit fair. But I don't know how to fix it without being like, let's bring something like Bolt or Path, things like that into the format that are very good, flexible answers that would be great uh, to as the player to remove things. And that can make the games kind of keep more in line. But then the format ends up warping itself around those cards. It's a hard one. I, I don't even know how I would fix it or how I would approach it. We have a lot of cards like Shieldred and Fable. And these cards are like, you can't really remove them because they've already like the damage. I mean, shield it less if you immediately kill it, but a card like Fable, mm. the damage is kind of already done the moment the card resolves. Yeah. So one way you can do with that is to just give us better counter magic. Like you could give mm. us mana leak. Right? Yeah. That could be a way for control decks to fight that kind of thing. And then, um, you know, the old, you know, triangle is that control shits on mid-range and yep. aggro shits on control and mid-range shits on aggro that's usually the triangle right and then combo then we is need just like wherever better aggro um, pieces yeah like so we talked we about earlier how red's weaker like better aggressive now i actually think we have pretty good aggressive cards i don't even think red is like again i don't think red is bad there's just some like over the top cards like what mono green is doing and the speed at which mono green is doing. so maybe we need a card like Searing Blaze. I think we got Searing Blood already. Um, yeah, we do. Yeah, so With maybe Searing mana, Blaze. Because Searing Blaze is like a landfall card, so that's going to be hard to make work. So not that hard to make work. Like you make land drops. Um, but maybe we need like more like a one-mana version of Searing Blood. Like what if we have deal one damage to a creature if it kills it, its controller takes two. Like we could mm -hmm. have a card like that. Um but I think the answer is more in that, like, I, I do agree, but I think it's a problem that's also just really hard to solve. Um, with the easiest solution being is to, like, stop printing fucking 5 for ones Like, Fable yeah, really and Wedding Announcements and, like, and that, yeah. like, those kind of cards. Like, if we stop printing 5 for ones then, you know, we can probably stop people from running away with the game so easily. Now, yeah. I said that I hate free spells. And I really do. But this afternoon, I suddenly had an idea for a cycle. So I have I have actually made custom cards for a change. Okay. Um, except green. Green didn't get one because fuck green, because you're the ones that are causing this problem. Um, so I'm going to read them out to you. And I'll read okay. all four first. And then I want to have your take. Sure. Uh, one, I think, might be a little, little much. But... Um, so, um, I've even named them and given them art because I was going like, to kind of put them on Twitter, but I was like, Twitter's going to shred me for it because it's Twitter. 
and I'm just going to do it on the podcast. Any any exposure is good exposure. So, first one. Um, Let's see if I have all four here. Uh, Think fast. One blue blue for an instant, and this is going to be the main thing on all of them. If you control no lands, you may pay zero rather than pay this card's mana cost. Counter target spell. So it's a cancel that is zero exclusively when you're on the draw on your opponent's turn one. Okay. Now I have the same, but it's Scorching Dragonfire. So one on a red, three to a creature or planeswalker if it dies, exile it. And it's one on a red, but it's zero if you have no lands. I have the same for Hero's Downfall, one black black. It costs zero on basically your opponent's first turn of the game. Destroy target creature or planeswalker. And I have the same for a three mana swords to plowshares. Hmm. What I like... And so this is not me trying to like what, fully pitch, what and I'm even, sure... What would yeah, I didn't know what be. the green one was going to be anyway. Because it can't be go get a it, land, it, right? It, it cannot be proactive. That was my whole point. I initially thought like can't we do like lightning strike but i did not want a situation where like your opponent takes the first turn it's like by the way in your upkeep you go to eight because i lightning strike you I, four times i guess the green would have to be um maybe like that like the frog effect where like it becomes like a two a three three frog maybe i just kind of think like you couldn't put it in green like green just doesn't get this well they have they have kenner's transformation with the elk yeah you could do something like an or it's just, with or it's just exile, what? exile. These cards don't need flash. Creature non land. Yeah, because like you, you could make these sorceries because you could still play them on your first turn before you make your land drop. Mm-hmm. Um. So, but the idea that I wanted to have is that they're all reactive. So these cards are never like made to like make you win a game. And even though I don't like free spells. Personally, and I don't know if I'm, you know, if this is just me on it, I hate free spells because they're like in your head all the time. And they like constantly like cloud your decision making. And it kind of makes it like uninteresting to me because I think the like risk in tapping out that you take in a game, I think is like a very real risk. And like that bluff element, I think is really cool. And knowing, okay, my opponent's not tapped out, they're not bluffing anything, I can look at the board and now I can like clear think clearly and goldfish right what is the most that i can achieve in a turn i find that like a really interesting thing in magic and free spells take that away i like these because they're basically like a one shot and they can catch me up early on and then i no longer have to think about free spells existing but i did want them to be playable outside of that specific term on scenario so that's why i went for cancel and three mana swords to plowshares, which I think is like a decent rate for an exile removal spell in white. Um, mm. Murder, um, Hero's Downfall is not like really playable. It's very, 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 very fucking fringe in black decks sometimes, but I think they should just play Soul Shatter anyway. And Scorching Dragonfire is like iffy too. Sometimes a considerable one-off or whatever. So I felt like these were like decent cards to do it at. But, like, I've been rambling enough, but, like, what do you make of this and, like, my pitch? I'm conflicted because, on one hand, I think the idea that, like, they are these one-shots 
that happen, you know, either while you're on the draw and your opponent goes first or, you know, it goes back to you. And then like before you make your land drop, you can use it. Um, I think that's fine because then they end up becoming just the normal basic cards that they are, like a cancel, Heroes Downfall, that kind of thing, where the rates are just, you know, pretty much fine. in line with what Pioneer is doing already. Yeah, like, you know, it's just straight up cancel, that kind of thing. Um, but then I'm also thinking of the deck construction of a lot of these cards. And, like, I'm... I, I feel like... I don't know. It goes one of two ways, right? Either people just be like, these cards are just kind of bad because they it's all about having them, you know, drawn in your first hand so they're not played at all. And they have, like, been of, one of those insane hypes for a cycle before they're released. Or they're all played pretty much in every color for the most part as a four I, of in your deck and yeah. it's warped around them now. I think Think Fast, like, I'm talking exclusively Pioneer because Think Fast would immediately be a four off in like every legacy deck because mm -hmm. you could just like pop off with shit like Lotus field, like a uh, Lotus pedal and just never play a land to begin with. And now you have yeah. a force of war. You don't need to pitch to. So I understand that I probably like made some legacy players shit themselves, but this, this is not targeted at legacy at all. Um, like this sounds like this would be like a pioneer master set, a pioneer horizon or set, Horizons, even though I yeah. don't want that, but I know it's going to be an inevitability. So I'd rather think about what is like a pioneer inclusive thing that I want. The idea that I had and like that I wouldn't think their format warping is again, it's because they can only be used reactively. Like you mm -hmm. can never back anything up with ThinkFast other than like a fucking Ornithopter because in Pioneer, and I assume this is kind of like assuming Magic's design going forward, but we haven't really had like free shit in like a decade yeah so i feel like that's just a thing magic doesn't do anymore so again in legacy this is going to back up like ridiculous bullshit but even in modern like what free spells do we have in modern um gut shot well you're not going to cast that unless you have like a drc in play and mm -hmm. if you do that you must have played a land in order to cast the drc uh if i want to do a thing fast what am i what am i going to back up for zero mana i I, no, nothing that I can think of. Um, and the other ones are just, just removal spells. So you can't back up a combo with a removal spell unless it's countered by a creature or a planeswalker, but it only matters to you if you have no lands. So you need to be on a combo that doesn't use lands, so you need to be countered by a permanent your opponent plays. How's that ever going to happen? And they don't counter each other either. Because once mm -hmm. you've played a land to play a threat and your opponent goes for the think fast, you can't think fast it back because you've just played a land. True. In order to cast your spell. So that was the thought process behind it. I basically tried to stop the turn one stuff so you could interact with that. But I want that like free spell malarkey to be over as soon as possible. And I felt like this was like the best way to do it. Th these yeah, could it, probably it's... say on the first turn of the game, but this, like, you control no lands, I think, allowed for, like, design space to potentially make them sorceries, at least some of them. So you could still play them after you've taken the turn. It does make it better than if it's, like, the first spell you cast, like the once, once upon a time thing. And again, yeah. it is reactive and not proactive. 
Um, so it's not doing the once upon a time, you know, Uro type of thing, even though Uro's not a free spell, but a very pushed, powerful card um, that does all these things on the different axes uh, to progress your own game plan. It's there to protect uh, yourself from this discrepancy. And then it does make for interesting mulligan choices. Uh, if you're against like a green deck, then you might want to mulligan pretty aggressively to the think fast and stuff like that. Um, it actually, now that I think about it, these are kind of like ley line reaction spells. Yeah, to, I mean, they're not as terrible as top decks, right? These cards are kind of no. playable going into later parts of the game. And uh, I think one thing that I forgot, what I also think makes him better in like slower decks, is that Pioneer plays more with tapped lands, like Triomes and Irrigated Farmlands and those type of cards. So even if people are like, which people have said, like, hey, we should have Bolt in the format. And while I think something like Bolt in the format would be good, playing a multicolored deck with reliable untapped red on turn one to actually cast that bolt, it's pretty rare. Well, pretty rare, but like it's hard, right? It's hard to skew your deck in that direction. In modern, you have fetches. So the moment you have a fetch in your opening hand, you can bolt on turn one if you've built your deck correctly. Like, if you're just playing, like, four Scalding Tarn, well, they can just get a Mountain, and then you have, like, a Breeding Pool, but that can grab, like, a Steam Vents. So, I mean, like, um, Misty Rainforest, but that can get a Steam Vents. So you always have that turn one untapped colored source to interact with. In Pioneer, you don't as much in the sort of slower decks that need this interaction to not get run over by something like Mono Green. Yeah. I, I think I think I can be convinced on these cards being okay. I'd love to hear people's thoughts on them from like viewers and stuff like that. And I think you should uh, still honestly like when this episode goes live, you should probably retweet or quote tweet the uh, thing and like with these cards and yeah, we'll talk about these idea. episodes, uh, whatever. So I think I, I also I also tried to come up with like names that kind of made sense. I want to hear your take. You had the first one, think fast. Uh huh. The other one is sudden crackle because I couldn't do sudden shock because that's a magic card. Yeah. Um, the removal spell is an unseen blade, as a reference to like the unseen blade is the deadliest. Um, yeah, Doom blade kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and um, the third, the, the white one, I couldn't come up with anything. I called it unheard prayer. I thought it was kind of white because I didn't want to do um, like sudden light because I had already done summon grackle. Unheard prayer. Um, because I felt like you have no lands, so that's why it's like unheard. Yeah. What about silent prayer? Ooh, I'm gonna have to redo that one. That's way yeah. better. I love that. Yes, I am going to. Silent prayer. I don't think that's a card already. No, but it's a cool one. It's yeah. A cool name. So, Gavin, well, hire since, me, please. <laughs> <laughs> since we're on the idea of, like, um, custom stuff or, like, I guess uh, the critiquing of that idea, I did see a tweet that I found to be interesting. It was by Todd Anderson. I don't know if you saw it. It was a, about an hour ago. Yep, and I didn't see it. I'll, I'll probably quote tweet it and put my thoughts on it, but let's we can discuss it here. 
He said, grade yourself as a tournament magic player and give me one honest, harsh self-critique. He said for himself, A-. minus. I get extremely defeated by an early loss. Sometimes I drop and drive home when I lose the first round. I'm also lazy about prepping if I have to change formats. So I wanted um, to let you go ahead first. Where would you rank yourself on like a grading scale? I don't think either of us... I don't think either of us, if we're being honest, we're not S or A. Oh, no, I'm like C minus. Like, I'm like, I think I'm like C, C minus in the sense that like, you know, that's like passing grade. Like if Mm -hmm. I play an eight round tournament, I'm probably somewhere around a three, five, five, three record by the end, Um, which I guess would be like passing so that's why I'm thinking C, C minus. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the harsh self-critique is that I get way too fucking cute in deck building. Like, that's definitely one. I mean, look, I literally only play, like, bullshit. <laughs> so, um, like, I, I find it very boring to play stock meta decks, so I basically never do, which is just shooting yourself in the foot. Um, And I think in game... I, like, shortcut thoughts way too quickly. So mm. I very often will do something like drawing it, and I have, like... I, I'm, like, playing a control deck. I have seven lands in play. I'm empty-handed. I draw a land, and I'm just like, draw, land, go. Because my thought process is you go, land, you play a land first before you do anything. But that's stupid, because you should hold the land in your hand. And I catch myself doing that, like, quick thinking, like, too fast, because I do, uh, and I've, I don't only say this myself, I've heard this from other people, I play control, but I'm a pretty fast player. Um, Mm. But that, I fuck that up sometimes, and I need to learn better when to actually slow down, because I just throw away games by playing too fast. Yeah, I can get that. Um, I think I would give myself a flat B because every bigger tournament I've played, whether it's standard or pioneer, whether it's an RCQ or a RPTQ or, you know, PPTQ, whatever they were prior to that being devolved. I always have really hot streaks whether it's the start the mid or the end i always end up with a fairly decent record um and like i make very tight plays i do very tight like things i play a lot of decks that have a lot of like thought to them like i love playing like mid-range decks combo decks things like that that have like a lot of like lines to them similar to how you would play a control deck um but my issue is my stamina gets the better of me when it comes to these. I end up like having like a toll on myself of like my brain starts kind of like getting a little bit fried. And I, I end up like, if I started the tournament like three and oh, I'll end up finishing like five, three, six, two, and like bubble out because I end up always having one type of play that I can point myself to. Where early on in the matches, I would not have made that mistake or that oversight. But in the mid to late uh, of the games or those matches, I can point to and be like, that was a grave error. 
where it was a little tiny thing that completely switched off the way the entire game functioned and I, I punt. That is like my biggest thing. It's like I, I either overthink something because my brain's getting fried or I just over, I just not see something. And I think if I did better with that kind of thing, I could get into the B plus territory of actually like top aiding shit and not bubbling out. Cause that's happens a lot. I bubble out so often. And I, again, I'm very streaky. Like there are times where like I've started out like an RCQ O2 finish six to bubble out. Like I've had that. And that, and I also similar to Todd, I get very discouraged from early losses yeah, and I, especially I, when I know I have a bad matchup in my brain. I'm like, this is an auto loss. Like I, it, it makes me play a little bit weaker, makes me play a little bit less tighter because I'm so discouraged by the fact that I'm on like Rakdos sack, for example, and I'm going against mono green and I'm like, fuck, this is an unwinnable matchup. Yeah. I, I have that a little, I feel like I've gotten, I have gotten better at that where um like i can have like a really shitty loss in like a first round and i i'll honestly be salty right i'll be complaining um and and i hate that because i feel like that like my makes my opponent feel bad when like if i if anyone ever plays against me it can be like on playaway or whatever and i'm like salty complaining that is literally never aimed at my opponent like i never yeah. hold anyone account like oh I'm never like, oh, it's a stupid deck. It's like, play whatever the fuck you want, right? It's legal cards, so play them, right? I don't give a shit. Mm -hmm. Like, play what you want. Uh, but I can be, like, annoyed. But I'm pretty good at, even though my, like, demeanor might still be annoyed, I have, like, calmed down. But there's, like, mm -hmm. a sort of delay. So I'll still be, like, walking around with a frown on my face, but, like, I'm feeling fine. Um, But, yeah, especially what you said. If you, like, in, like, a really shitty matchup, and then you, like, mold to five you kind of just, like, guess I'll keep and, like, basically throw two cards at random to the bottom because you kind of know that it's over, which is stupid because there's, you know, there's a world yeah. where you win. So you shouldn't do that. And, like, yeah, I have I have that a bit too sometimes. I think I'm getting better at that. I used to tilt, like, quite a bit, like, especially also in games or, like, tilt at my own decisions. But I'm gotten better at, like, if I do something really fucking stupid, I'm just like, okay, 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 calm down. That was really fucking dumb. But now we're going to have to figure out how we get out of this hole. Yeah. And like, then it's okay. fun sometimes. You dig yourself out of a hole you've buried for you. You like get yourself out of a hole you dug for yourself. You could be like, hey, good job me solving mm -hmm. the problem me created. Yeah, because like similar to you where you say you have you get a little bit too cute with your card selection and deck building. I get a little too cute with my deck selection overall. For example, the last two RCQs I played, I went... Four, two, and three, three, and them both bubbled out. Um, and in both of those tournaments, I had games where like I'm playing Rakdos Sack, and I would argue that Rakdos Sack has far more lines of play than Rakdos Midrange does, right? Where there's a lot more intricate things you can do, a lot more cool little like you know you know lines you can take to make cool plays. One example I can give is I played against, I think it was a, an Angels list, and they were at 48 life. I was at 2 life. I won that game. 
I was able to swing it back, do like cool like things with like Fable and like uh, Claim the Firstborn and stuff like that. I did. I was really proud of myself. I'm like, I made really, I ended up winning that match 2-0. And in both games, they were like 40 something life. And then another one, they were like 30 life. And I was able to like swing it around, bring it back and end up closing out those games. And I felt really proud of myself for the lines that I made and the play that I made. Um, and that exact idea of like, I should have been on Rakdos is more so for the tournament, not that particular matchup because that matchup is probably worse for, for Rakdos or whatever. And it's probably not that, I don't even think it's that great for Sack. But instead of trying to do these really cute things of like deck selection of like things that have way more lines to play, oftentimes I should just take the uh, avenue of like work smarter, not harder and play the better deck in the format. Like I should have just played Rakdos midrange or even just played mono green decks that I own in paper that I very well could play in a tournament. But I choose to play the deck that I love the most, which is Rakdos Sack, which is a fine deck and it can compete. But the matchups where you're behind in like bad matchups are far more like of a great distance between one another versus something like Rakdos midrange against the field. Right. Yeah. So I think that's one thing I need to be better at is just like, yes, I love playing Rakdos Sack, but I, I want to win. And my better chance of winning is playing the more consistent, just straight up better Rakdos mid-range deck or mono green deck, something like that. I think that's where I need to, that actually might be my biggest thing is just come into the tournament with a better oh, idea. Mine for sure is my biggest loss is deck building. Just because I don't think I build bad decks, but I know I'm not building like, you know, the best deck. But yeah, like the I, most fine tuned thing. Yeah. Exactly. So, like, you know, if it, I tend generally, I feel like if I make brews, they tend to be pretty decent decks. But obviously, you know, if I'm building some like wacky comboy shit, I should probably play Lotus Field if I want to play combo, right? And I have that like a mm. lot. If I want to play Control and I'm playing Grixes, I mean, even if I want to be in Demir colors, I should probably just play Demir and not splash red. But yeah, can't stop myself. And I definitely lose the most points off of that. But there's also part of me that just like doesn't care. And I mm -hmm. just like playing what I like playing. And I know that Grixis is kind of my brand. And I think that's fun. And I think that's cool. And people have, you know, I've told this before where a friend of mine literally gave me a stained glass nickel bolos and was just like, you're the Grixis dude, right? I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> like... Yeah. That, that's where it's kind of tough. But I mean, I thought that was a cool tweet. That was a cool yeah. thing to like, good self evaluation. Like, I, I, it's, it's hard because, like, I want to be better at my play because I want to play in more, like, you know, RCQs and stuff like that. But at the same time, between work, between what we do for the podcast, between, like, you know, the stuff we do for the website, uh, or in my case, websites, between Marvel Snap Zone and, and Play X, um, can I sit there and be like, can I dedicate the time to become a better grinder or better player? No, not really. I think I'm good enough to where I can give proper insight to a format um, and proper insight to overall gameplay and like patterns and things like that in meta games to be able to be a decent content creator and not kill myself over, you know, wanting to be the best player. I don't. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, if I'm if I, from like, you know, writing for playing Pioneer, like if you if you want to hear from the best, we got them. 
it just ain't us right yeah. like if you know we've got you know darth jason and sam and carnage and like we have a bunch of really really good magic players on the network and it's just like you know if you want to hear you know like going into an rcq what should i play you know if you had you know kept an eye on twitter and you were prepping for your rc you should have definitely listened to the dive down because they had um they had darth jason on talking about all the good decks and stuff in the format so yeah and for me it's also just like because at the end of the day i play magic just to have fun so and for me like playing a fun deck is more important than winning the most now i'm not the kind of person that could show up with some janky deck and like go to an fnm and go oh two oh two oh two one two and like yay i did the thing once no i'm gonna have a terrible time right mm -hmm. but if i go three one with a deck that i love or four oh with a deck that i hate i'm gonna go three one with a deck that i love and that's just i know that i'm losing win percentage on that i just choose not to care yeah well, let us know what you think. Tell us what you guys think about yourselves as far as Magic players are concerned. Even go on Twitter, go find Todd's uh, tweet, respond underneath it, quote tweet it, interact with that, or even tell us in the Discord, stuff like that, what you think about yourselves as far as that's concerned. Tell us what you think about the overall metagame for Pioneer, as far as where you think it's stale, the critiques that we've seen on Twitter about it, the overall gameplay and the decks that we've seen show up or not show up as much as we'd like to see or thought we would see when it comes to the RCQs, right, RCQs, the the championships, uh, the fucking dream hacks, uh, Sophia's, all that good stuff. As well, tell us what you think about Alex's custom cards for the idea of like how can we possibly fix... I think this is the first time I've made custom cards that weren't a joke. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I, I did it once. And that was the... Uh, oh my god, you finished the Titan cycle. That was yeah. something. <laughs> I still I still want those to be real. I think they're fucking sick. Um, but yeah, tell us what you think about the custom cards. Think about like how would you actually you know battle this uh, discrepancy of great threats, but not enough quite you know up to snuff removal? Because I mean, look at the sets we get. When we get sets with like really great flashy cards that do a lot of things what removal do we get in it this most reason when we got the um the non-artifact removal spell right go for go for the throat and yeah. it's like cool it just adds to the slew of hit some things don't hit other things in two mana black removal that's not quite going to solve the issue that we have here um so how would you fix that what cards would you like to see come to pioneer and i think and... also important how big do you think the issue is because some yeah, people have been like it's the end of the world and i'm like it's a downside so like but like I I'm, I'm not like heartbroken by it so like where do you find yourself on that so yeah let us know what you think let us know in the discord all that good stuff and again thank you so much for listening thank you so much for being here and hope again you listen to us next week but until then, we love you and goodbye. Goodbye, everyone.